Welcome to another edition of the Grizz Den Podcast. It is playoff season in Memphis. You can literally feel the energy and the buzz in this city. Everyone's excited about the Grizzlies, and for good reason. To preview Game 2 against the Jazz, which I might add is very late on Wednesday night, we had Parker Fleming from Grizzly Bear Blues on. He gave us his thoughts on Game 1. He broke down the rotation, and he told us what the Grizzlies needed to do in order to steal another game from the Jazz. So, listening to that, it was an awesome conversation. But before we get to Parker, I wanted to encourage everyone to go visit grizzden.com. We have all sorts of swag for playoff time in Memphis. We have some new t-shirts coming out very soon, which um, I know I will definitely be wearing all over the place. And especially with uh, some home playoff games coming up, it is better to get your order in sooner rather than later if you want the shirts in time for those games. If you're you're heading out uh, to the forum or if you're going to a watch party, you're going to be wanting to wear Grizzlies gear, and we have exactly what you need at grizzden.com. Also, follow us on social media. Instagram handle is at grizz underscore den. We go live uh, during certain games, whether it's at halftime or after the game, to give our immediate reactions. Uh, check us out over at Grizzden on Twitter, a.k.a. Ty Smith's burner account. Uh, but we will be tweeting throughout these playoff games, providing some level of entertainment and insight. So hit us up. And without further ado, here's Parker Fleming. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest. It's Parker Fleming. Uh, you might have read his work on Grizzly Bear Blues. He's the associate editor there. He also uh, is a co-host of a, a podcast that uh, talks all things Grizzlies, the Core 4 podcast. Parker, welcome to the Grizz Den Pod. Thanks you guys for having me. You know, for for a little bit, I've just known y'all for y'all shirts that y'all sell at Oxbow. Uh, I I have a few of my own. A great yeah. great work there. But I'm excited to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, yeah. The uh, we appreciate you. Uh, you know, spreading the, spreading the word about the Joggle shirts, and um, mm-hmm. we've got we've got some more shameless plug at Grizzden.com if anybody uh, needs some before the playoff game. Uh, but Parker. Before we jump in to talk about, you know, the game one win a couple nights ago and then the game two uh, matchup coming up uh, tomorrow night, I would just love to hear, you know, some some of your background, just how you got into the Grizzlies, first of all, and then where you, you know, made your way to Grizzly Bear Blues and now in the position that, that you are, uh, you know, what's what's kind of the short version of, of your, your backstory with the Grizz and then, then uh, how you're covering them right now? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I've I've been born and raised here, so started going to games when I was about like seven years old. 
uh, that, that kind of just really started my fandom. And then I got to college, and my second semester, I changed majors, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I subscribed to this uh, blog network called Fansided Network, and I got an email one day. They had just made a post that they were looking for writers. I'm like, something to do, something to put on a resume. Let's see what this is about. And just a whole bunch of different events kind of just led one way to another. I got, I just kind of shot a shot at uh, Mike Conley's press conference when, because it was open to season ticket holders, so in the autograph line, very unprofessional. But I shot a shot about an interview, led me over to their PR guy, Jason Wallace. And next thing you know, like I'm at Media Day. I didn't get that interview, but I got Media Day, which kind of opened up the doors for me. Just kept hustling. Uh, some stuff kind of went down to where I was. I ended up at Grizzly Bear Blues and just kind of took off running. I've been really empowered there by our site manager, Joe Mullinax, to just kind of be the best version of myself I can be. And I've been now covering the Grizzlies as the game day coverage lead for this two years now. So it's been a fun ride. I hope this isn't that the end isn't coming anytime soon. It really, it's really a good time. Really just a fun team to cover and just being able to cover my childhood team. It's just, it's very surreal at times. Awesome. Yeah. We've, <clears throat> we feel the same way uh, a little bit in more of a casual sense, but cause we just kind of do it for the love of the game, but no, man, that's, that's great. Um, so getting into the game, it's uh, from a couple nights ago, this is a super general question, but, but what stuck out to you the most from that win? What stuck out? I'll probably just have to say the team swagger really just stuck out. Um, I in the post game, I I had asked Jaws like, what was that switch that flipped? Because you know they kind of started out a little slow, and then all of a sudden they just turned it up and. There's just a little bit of swagger, and he, he said, you know, they started the jazz. You know, they got comfortable. They were playing their game, but they were also talking a lot. They were talking a lot of trash. Uh, opened up uh, doors for the Grizzlies to go and play their game, and they started giving them that smoke too, both uh, in the trash talking but also on the court. And, you know, it, it's you don't really know what you're going to expect when it's a young team really in its first playoff game. On the road, I mean, play-in, sure. The Golden State game probably was a nice little tune-up, but really, like, that first playoff series road game, you're playing against the number one seed who's, I think they had the best record all season long. And, you know, they're talking, and then instead of laying down, you throw haymakers of your, of your own, and it just opened things up, you know? I mean, Dylan Brooks, his energy is infectious, and I can go, I don't want to go too long on Dylan Brooks because everybody kind of knows where I stand on Dylan Brooks, but he just seeing him kind of burst onto the national scene has been really fun to watch. Uh, obviously, John Morant just kind of being that closer, making big time plays. Even though he he made Conley look like his age on defense, it it was pretty bad. But uh, just being him stepping up at twenty one and taking control of those moments has just been so fun to see. And it seemed like guys like Kyle Anderson and Desmond Bain add a little bit of juice on the court, both in the terms of just kind of like that on-court swagger, but also with production. Just so fun to see. And it, it says a lot about the team's culture. They they ride on 
John Morant and Dylan Brooks as kind of like those spirit leaders, and those two guys, they just drip with swagger and confidence. And, you know, when you got your team humming like that, it's going to get a lot of fun. It may get a little chippy with the other team, but it's going to be a lot Heck of fun. Yeah. Yeah, we we love we love the chippiness. I sort of we were talking about that after game one of the Jazz game, where it was just sort of like, you know, we're we're used to being the strong ones in the chippy playoff scenarios, um, which is super fun. I want to go back to something that you were mentioning with Swagger and the team, and particularly maybe to start like as it connects to our head coach Taylor Jenkins, and you know, throughout the season, we've we're not going to talk about the rotation yet, although I do want to ask you about it at some point, but just to maybe even start um, because there was some potential criticism that could have happened. Had we lost that golden state game, right. With sort of um, that challenge and the decision not to challenge. And there's been lots of folks that have talked about it and written about it, but just want to even get your thoughts. Like, do you think that particularly even maybe from your coverage perspective or from a friend perspective, is he a better coach than will we give him credit for, and kind of unlocking that that swag um, and kind of just like that confidence. And do you feel like he's done well thus far in some of these big games? I think Taylor Jenkins has been exceptional as a as a head, as a two year head coach. Uh, I'll get into the challenge in a little bit, but uh, I don't I don't think anybody expected Taylor Jenkins to be this good. Not even myself. And you know that challenge. I didn't want to critique it immediately like a lot of people did because it's like, okay, let's see the ripple effects. What actually happens after that? I think what's bigger than the challenge is the fact that he just let two timeouts just go to waste mm. after that because, you know, yeah. if they would have lost the challenge, then then they would have lost the timeout. But also, too, it could have just changed the whole momentum of the game. I mean, ultimately, it didn't matter. That's the whole thing. It did right. not matter It didn't because – I want to quote uh, Chris Vernon here. You know, he says, when things are going good, nobody wants to give the coach credit. But when things are going bad, coach is scapegoat. That's right. And yeah. I, I try not to think like that because this team shouldn't be in this position where the rebuild ended after, let's let's be real, ended about a year and a half. You know, a st- starting around the all-star break this year, we're kind, it's kind of like, okay, it, it's winning time. Uh, it, it was evident when they – corrected themselves and put Tyus in over Justice Winslow. They moved a struggling Brandon Clark out of the rotation, even though I think he's a key piece to to the team's f- future. And uh, I had actually done a, a big feature last week on Grizzly Bear Blues where I just asked players, like, how is Coach Jenkins instilled confidence in you guys? And they, they said he gives us the green light. You don't have to worry mm. about going out there and getting pulled for making a mistake. And I think that's one of the biggest things out there for young guys because they don't – some young guys, they don't play loosely because it's like, okay, coach is going to pull me out if I do this or if I try this or if I miss this shot or make this turnover. But Jenkins, they know that he's going to put them in the spots to where they can play their games. And I think that's very evident with, like, the shot portfolio of the team. You have John Morant who focuses more on drives and getting in between for that floater. Uh, Tyus and Brandon, they love that floater. Melton, Bain. And Grayson, they've been empowered to just let it fly from three. Uh, Tillman with the floater, Kyle Anderson and Dylan Brooks in the mid range, Jonas in the paint. It's not like one of those things where, like, you see into, especially in today's modern NBA, where coaches like, okay, you got to shoot this many threes a game or anything. Mm-hmm. Coach is saying we're going to put you in the spots where you're going to get your best shots. You're going to play your game, 
and you're going to have the green lights to do whatever you have to do because I have confidence in you. And it, it's translated to wins. I mean, they're, they went four games above 500 this year, won two playing games, already stole one against Utah in the playoffs, and they're, they're top 10 in pace, top three in assists per game. They lead the league in like steals and deflections. So I, I think Taylor Jenkins is a lot better than people give credit for. Now, will he be the guy going forward? We'll wait and see. Like, it's a wait and see. You got to see how yeah. he also fares. Just like how you see with these players where they got to grow and you got to see how they are in big moments. You got to see that with Coach, too. He, he's 36 years old. I mean, there, there's some players in this league that are older than Taylor Jenkins. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> we just got to let him grow. But I mean, for him to do this as a second year coach is big time. And I, yeah. I think he, he's a big-time coach. Definitely the smartest basketball mind I've ever talked to, ever heard speak. So awesome. I, I ride with Coach Jenkins. Like that. And I, I love the, the, the green light looseness component, especially like in, in the spot that we're in in this series. I sort of just feel like it could be a detriment, but at the same time we've seen it like really pay off for guys like Grayson. Um, and, and even Dylan, at least in the playoff series, um, and they feel confident. And that's a – if I'm a Jazz fan, I, I'm sort of nervous about that component of, of the Grizz because we've got nothing to lose. We're sort of playing with house money. We've already won the first game, and we can just step out there and still be really loose and, and be confident. I have a quick mm-hmm. trivia question for you guys. Neither oh, of you gosh. can answer. How many floaters do you think the Grizzlies took in game one against the Jazz? No. When I saw it, it blew my mind. Is it high or low? Uh, it was more than I thought. I'm going to say um, 35. I had, said four, I, was, I had said 43 in my head, so that's what I'm sticking it's with. A, it was exactly... 43 Brantley. Jeez. That was Im- that's impressive. No. When you said floater earlier and uh when you were talking about just kind of the looseness, that's I had heard that earlier today actually in a different podcast, but I thought that 43 was 43 out of how many attempts? They shot the ball 100 times. I ha- I have it up right times. now. So 43% yeah. of their shots were floaters. Yeah. Um so That's just a fun little trivia, but I want to go back to something you mentioned about uh, Brandon Clark. So we have had this debate, I feel like time and time again on the podcast about Brandon Clark versus Xavier Tillman. And it's one that it's ne- not necessarily something that we expected to have to, or to see a decision have to be made between them in this particular season. We were more so projecting out, you know, maybe one or two years in the future about, you know, in a, in a couple ways, they're duplicative, but uh, what do you think about that decision? I know you mentioned that you're a Brandon Clark fan. I am too, actually, on the podcast. I'm usually the one uh, who's defending BC, but what is your, in your opinion, has been um, one of the reasons why we haven't seen BC in the rotation, and do you think that um, that should change moving forward? I want to go ahead and answer first. It should change. Uh, I, I think he's – I mean, there was times last year where he looked like that third guy between John ja and Jaron. And there was a lot of nights where, you know, he was playing so well and when Jaron would get in foul trouble where Brandon Clark was closing games. There were times last year where it was Jaron and Brandon Clark closing games over Jonas Valanciunas. And I, I think the biggest thing he, 
the reason why he fell out of the rotation is because a he can't space the floor that kind of hurts him but also at the same time the only and I think this is like a reason like why Tyus is in the rotation right now is the only guy right now that can play the five that's not Jonas Valanciunas is Xavier Tillman so when when Jonas Valanciunas needs breaks when he I mean let's be real he's gonna play 35 37 minutes a night but for that like 10 they're gonna have to go with Xavier Tillman because he's the only other guy that can play the five kind of like with Tyus he's the only other guy that can run the offense when John Morant's not in the game so I, I and Jaron right now he's looking a step behind at the five, and I think it's all mental because I mean last year he was better at the five than the four. I'll I'll pre I preach that all the time. I think he's a future five, but I think he's definitely got some stuff he needs to work on. And Brandon Clark is like he's the size of a three, but he's more of a four five combo. And I do think at times that five can work. It's just not going to work in this series. Now what I'll say is I think he needs to be in this rotation. Because if you're going 10 deep and Brandon Clark is not in that 10, that, that's on you. I think the only guys off the bench right now that have kind of solidified their spot in the playoff rotation, at least off the bench, uh, Desmond Bain, for one, he's the best bench player they've had for the past several weeks. Xavier Tillman, just like I said, he needs to play because he's the only other guy that can play the five when Jonas Valanciunas is not in the game. And Tyus Jones, uh, I think... Grayson and D'Anthony Melton right now, it's a coin flip. Uh, I think Melton's struggled a lot over the past month. I mean, he's Mr. Do Something, but I haven't really seen him do a whole lot of just that those like right plays at the right time kind of stuff over the past month. And that includes shooting the three ball. And honestly, if he's not shooting the three ball, what's so different than having him out there than Brandon Clark? Not yeah. not really. And I, I think it's one of these things where, like, like y'all said, everybody's like, oh, is it Xavier Tillman or Brandon Clark? But nobody talks about them two together. Like, I haven't pulled up on cleaning the glass. They've played almost a 1,000 uh, non-garbage time possessions together. They outscore opponents by almost seven points per 100 possessions when they share the floor together because you mm. get that extra rebounding. You have that extra defensive versatility. And I think it should be tapped in. Like, I, I think that's something that should be tapped in because Brandon Clark is a, is a game changer when he's on his game. He's super efficient. He has that spot where he gets to his floater. He can fly around defensively and he can guard in space. He can go block shots. He gets out and runs. He could be a potential spark plug where, you know, if things, if he gets to like Utah wins game two and game three, and you kind of need that spark to win game four, I think Brandon Clark can supply that. So mm. that that's where I stand. I mean, if anything, I know this is like topics for another podcast or whatever, but I, I think it's, I think this is going to be all like a wake up call for Brandon Clark because, you know, he had that comfort level of he was first team all rookie. He just came off with a, one of the most efficient rookie seasons we've ever seen as from a like shooting standpoint. And I mean, and reports that I've seen from people smarter than me and from conversations I've had, Brandon Clark has always been like the third guy where it's like, oh, we're not going to put him in trade talks. Like, mm. They've talked about him in the same vein as Jaron Jackson Jr. So I think it's going to be a big wake-up call for him because now it's like, okay, I have my spot. Now it's like, oh, I might lose my spot. But also at the same time, there's that money aspect too. But different conversations. But, yeah, I, I think he should play. But, I mean, will he this series? I don't know. Coach seems pretty firm in that rotation. I don't know what it's going to be like injecting a new guy into the rotation. 
in the middle of a playoff series. So it's just a wait and see. But with the way that Melton's playing and then Grayson's been inconsistent and just the effectiveness of Clark and Tillman together, I don't see why you don't at least give it a try. I mean, it's better than playing Grayson, Melton, and Bain all on the floor at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. One of the things that, as we were sort of talking about um, the game uh, after after game one, one of the things that I was curious on was to see if they tried to put Triple J in with the bench unit just to sort of maybe get some stuff going. And I know that hasn't really worked super well this um, kind of in the later half of the season. And it definitely did not work <laughs> well at all in game one. So I'd be curious to see if they stick with that strategy because if they don't and they just keep them with starters, then maybe that opens up a spot for – for BC to get back in the rotation because, and I want to see if you agree with me on this, I'm very passionate about Melton not needing to get any more minutes. I feel like in, in this in the rotation, since really the, the last game of the regular season against Golden State, it just has not, he has not been able to match that intensity. Um, and, you know, his shooting has been off, his confidence has been off. And, I, I, you know, without the numbers necessarily in front of me, just like the eye test, he's just not he, – he just doesn't meet it. And and he really – I sort of think he really struggled in the bubble a lot too and, and didn't really meet the eye test there. And so I'm sort of – I have just been – Will is, maybe will laugh at this, have been very vocal <laughs> in our watch parties about getting him off the floor. Cause I just feel like we're, that's our opportunity to like lose the margin that we've created. And at this point, I'd love to try somebody else in the rotation and try some different things because I just don't think that he's working. No, that's fair. I mean, but also I, it's, it's just these, this two different ends of the spectrum because it's like, okay, we had this guy who, you know, he's had stretches where he'll hit like four, five, six threes in a single half. Like that wins right. them a game. That's right. But it's tough because, and this is where I kind of where to sit with Brandon Clark. We've seen times where either of those two guys changed the game. Like I don't, I don't see, I don't see a scenario where you go ten and you're excluding one of or even both of Melton or Brandon Clark. Yeah, and so I guess that's from your perspective. Do you think that we should limit the rotation in either rest of the playoff series to around eight or nine, or do you think we should stick with that ten man rotation? I think I know what Taylor Jenkins would say, but I'm curious what you think. Uh, it, it's actually funny you you say that because uh, it's something I'm going to monitor for game two, and if it's another ten man rotation, I'm just going to write about this. But I'm f- I think it's going to be ten. I don't know if you can really go eight because, like I said uh, mm-hmm. earlier. Tyus and Xavier Tillman, they need to play just off necessity. I mean, they're also good too. Like they can, they can, they're guys that can impact the game for you and kind of just keep things humming when Ja and or Jonas are off the floor. And after that, it's Desmond Bain. But also too, like you have like those factors with like, like if you're really gonna break it down to your top eight, it's the five starters, Desmond Bain. Anthony Melton and Grayson Allen, and you're not gonna run. You're not gonna have your bench unit just being those those three guys. They they don't offer size, or they don't really give much of a break for uh, Jonas or Jaron because really it puts you back in that situation where Jaron's at the five, where he has struggled all season long so far. And I, I think that's really the reason why it's gonna go to ten. I mean, 
are I think there's only one potential adjustment they need to make with that is they just need to stagger better. I mean, when you're in the playoffs, you don't need a pure second unit lineup or you don't need those lineups where it works with Jonas because he's an elite rebounder, but you can't have lineups out there where it's Tyus, Grayson, Melton, Bain, and then one of Tillman or Jackson. It's just not going to work because you're going to get eaten alive on the glass, especially when they have a second unit big man like Derek Favors. Derek Favors is one of the best backup big men in basketball. He's a starting caliber big man. So you, you can't be running those those lineups. So maybe some staggering a little bit. Uh, try to get Kyle Anderson in there more in the second unit more. Dylan Brooks in the second unit more. Uh, it's, it's just I would focus more on that. Just And also, too, I would not have a single minute of the game where Jaron Jackson is not on the floor with John Morant. Like not or or Jonas Valanciunas for that matter, not at all, not at this point right now. Next season, you could probably get away with it. He'll be a lot better next season, but right now he needs two or three of the starters with him at all times if you're going to mm-hmm. have a successful lineup. So it just comes down to lineup staggering. Make sure you're not leaving too many key contributors out of the game. I've seen uh, plenty of media people say this on Twitter: is you you're at the stage right now where you cannot. You got to have at least two of Ja, Jonas, and Dylan. I can't remember if people include Kyle or Jaron in, in that fourth, but you got to have two of those guys out there at all times, especially in the postseason, and especially against somebody like Utah, where they literally had two of the three six man of the year finalists on their roster. Granted, how does that work? One of them has to be the seventh man, but <laughs> I, I don't get that. But you know, with Donovan Mitchell back now. It, the biggest, I think the biggest thing in it is it moves Joe Ingles back to the bench. And if guys like Melton and guys like Grayson, they, they aren't stepping up and they aren't matching that firepower, that can swing yeah. the series right there. Yeah, that's right. All right, Parker, you've been super generous with your time. And uh, we've gone this whole time and obviously wanted to dig into these Grizzlies uh, rotation storylines, different performances. But let's talk really quickly about this upcoming game uh mm-hmm. last game obviously donovan mitchell didn't play uh rudy gobert because of foul trouble only played 25 minutes which is under his average and then um you obviously had a good performance by bogdanovich in the second half but the jazz took 47 threes and only took shot 25 percent 25 and a half percent but you know with mitchell coming back with the grizzly stealing game one and the three-point percentage not being near their average all of these things point to a game two where things start to regress back to the mean and and I want to to get a sense from you on what you think the Grizzlies have to do because I think they're going to be in a I mean I I believe I didn't look at the betting line I I think it was eight and a half points uh they have Jazz being favored right now but what does the Grizzlies have to do to come out in game two and actually have a chance to steal another one in Utah. Mm. That's tough just because, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, let's be real. Utah's lost six games at home. They're they're mm. a good home. By percentages, they should win the t- tomorrow night's game. I mean, whenever this airs. I don't know if y'all are going to do today or tomorrow. Yeah, we'll drop it later today. Okay, cool. All right, then tomorrow. I don't know how it's – I don't, I don't like percentage wise, they, they should win. I mean, and then even with Donovan Mitchell back, even if he's not a hundred percent, he's a threat. He's their best scoring threat. He can create at three levels. He can explode either to the rim or above the rim. 
Uh, this season, he shot 38% on eight three-point attempts per game. Like, that's that's elite right there. That Like, not a lot of players do that. And just that dynamic that he creates in the starting lineup and that energy, because, I mean, what he does is, even at bare minimum, he moves Dylan over to him. And that puts a quote-unquote lesser kind of defend, uh, depending on how they do the Kyle and Jaron lineup, but it, it's going to open some stuff up for Bondanovich. It's going to open up some stuff for Mike Conley. It totally just shifts the defensive attention. So, But I think for the Grizzlies, it, it comes down to, I guess, matching firepower. And I mean, for one, it kind of starts off the bench with Ingles moving to the bench, and he's that kind of that playmaker, that elite three-point shooter, how are we going to match that firepower off the bench? I think one of the ways that you do that, and I think something that Utah is going to do, is they're going to f- focus on that inside the arc. 80% of their shots came inside the arc. They got 62 points in the paint. Uh, Dylan Brooks got wherever he want in the mid-range. They're going to adjust. Like They're going to make those adjustments. Quinn Snyder is too good of a coach not to. So I don't want them to marry the three-point game, but they got to shoot more than 20. Uh, there's no reason for... And these magnitude of games, and with as much as they're playing, Desmond Bain and Grayson Allen shouldn't combine for five three-point attempts. They may even need to get five three-point attempts each. Uh, you need Jaron to be on from three. Uh, one thing I touch on in uh, our game preview that's going up tomorrow is if they're going to take that mid-range shot away from Dylan Brooks, he may need to focus more on being that catch-and-shoot threat because, I mean, he's honestly one of the best catch-and-shoot guys the Grizzlies have. Um, I ran... Um, I looked at his catch-and-shoot three numbers. He's shooting 39% from three this season. But I have a stat for y'all that y'all may not know. Among those, who have, sh- among those who have shot 50 or more corner threes this season, Dylan Brooks is second in percentage in, on corner threes. You know what, what the percentage is? 57%. Only Seth Curry has a higher corner three percentage. So if that mid-range is taken away, he may need to like relocate to the corner. He may need to just hover around the three-point line and wait for the defense to collapse on either Ja or Jonas Valanciunas to open up some threes and kind of get going from beyond the arc because this Utah team, they stayed in the game because they shot, four, they shot like 44 threes. And then even just by percentages, they made 12, which was enough to keep them in the game. So with Donovan Mitchell back and just with the three-point volume and the weapons they have, they kind of got to start letting it fly a little bit more or else they may just not have the firepower to match up with a returning Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, those those adjustments are going to be fascinating. And one thing that who knows how much this, and it's not like we'll necessarily know this, but you know, Brad Jones was part of Quinn Snyder's team at Utah for four years as an assistant coach and leading player development. So it'll be curious if there's some sort of sort of inside baseball type things that we that maybe can help set us apart in terms of, you know, kind of game planning for their game plan type scenario. Yeah, I mean, and then Jenkins was on Snyder's staffs as well. Like they've been on staffs yeah. together. So it's gonna be. It's just gonna be a really good like chess match because both Jenkins and Snyder's are good coaches. Uh, adjustments will be made. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if we see like rotation tweaks or anything like that in the middle of the series. I mean, we've seen Coach Jenkins not be afraid of it before. I mean, he rolled out that Bizarro four guards around a big lineup 
and Golden State and in Utah. So, I mean, he's not afraid to mix things up even at this stage of the season. So, it's going to be fun. Uh, I mean, I, I have Utah winning just by law of averages. Uh, getting Donovan Mitchell back is also just going to be a morale boost and a and all that stuff for them with that that home crowd's tough and you know a lot of guys are pissed off, including Donovan Mitchell. So I think there's just going to be that little juice. I don't I don't think it's going to be like a blowout or anything. It'll be a close game, but I, I, I nonetheless though the Grizzlies are going to come back to Memphis with quote unquote home court advantage with the potential to take a three one lead. So I, if you told me that even like two weeks ago, I would have said you're crazy. So that's right. Well, Parker, yep. thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, let the listeners know where they can find your work and uh, follow you on social. Absolutely. You can find my work at grizzlybearblues.com. Follow the, that blog on Twitter at SBNGrizzlies. Uh, we have a, a podcast network with four podcasts. Uh, my core four podcasts, GBB Live that I'm on with Joe Molinax. We have the 3 and D podcast hosted by Justin Lewis and Ben Hogan. And then we had the Starting Five par, uh, podcast. And you can find all that Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, just wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find it. Just search Grizzly Bear Blues. And you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Just kind of spell it like Waka Flocka. <laughs> you'll, you'll find it. So, yeah. Th- thank you guys for having me. It was a good show. Yep, yeah, man. it's been a blast. Thanks again. This has been another edition of the Grizz Den Pod. Thanks again to Parker for joining us. Tune in to Game 2 Wednesday night for Ty and Brantley. I'm Will. We'll talk to you next time.